Well, hey, it's so good to say if you have your Bible, grab it, turn with me to 1 Peter. And if you're newer to navigating the Bible, you'll find the book of 1 Peter almost all the way towards the back of your Bible. But get a copy of God's Word in front of you, uh, if you would. I'm so excited to begin a walk through this book together. And uh, a couple things I just want to say before we jump in here. Uh, uh, one, let me just kind of unpack the format that I have in mind for today and uh, probably most weeks moving forward. I'm just going to preach. Um, I'm just going to preach straight through this thing, and I'm not going to stop and cue times of discussion. But the beauty of the format in which you are uh, listening to God's Word preached right now is that if there's something uh, you want to stop, pause, dialogue together about, uh, double-click more on, feel free to do that. Uh, but I'm just going to preach straight, straight through here. And then uh, the second thing, just by way of introduction into this series, um, I would love if we would continue consider, not consider, I would love if we as a church would memorize this entire book together. And now if you, if that sounds a bit daunting and you're flipping through the pages going, how in the world are we going to memorize this whole book together? Understand that each week we're going to be taking this book in small chunks that we, it's very doable for us to memorize the part preached on every single week. For example, this week uh, we're going to teach through 12 verses. That's like a verse and a half to two verses a day to memorize that by the time we get to next week you'll have memorized this portion we just taught on today and so um i don't even want this to be a consideration i want to i want to tell us together let's make a corporate commitment together to try to memorize the book of first peter as we study it here so uh kids if you're watching with your parents look at them and say let's do this and spouses look at each other and say let's do this small groups look at each other and say hey let's do this um, let's look back on the spring of 2020 in the midst of all that is going on and say, you know, one thing we did, we memorized the book of First Peter. And so I want to lay that before us. But as we begin uh, in this study, I want, uh, I want to invite you back with me uh, to my experience in driver's training. And so uh, there's two things I remember most about driver's training. The first one was the time I hit the gas instead of the brake. And I will spare you the story of that other than to say um, the instructor was not pleased in the, in, in the least with that. Uh, but the second one was this little, uh, just this little lesson that one of the instructors said to me when I was driving down the road one day. I had a tendency when I was learning how to drive to look straight down at the road ahead of me. And what would happen is I started to drift to the middle line. I would overcorrect and, and kind of pinball my way down the street. And I was driving one day, and one of the instructors just said from the passenger seat there, hey, Brock, lift up your eyes a little bit. Just lift up your eyes a little bit. Uh, look out a bit. Lift up your eyes a little bit. And as I'd lift up my eyes, there was something about that that centered me. I no longer was bouncing back and forth from uh, middle line to uh, the edge of the road. Something about lifting my eyes oriented um, a, a bit more of a smooth driving path. I, I give that little bit of illustration to start because I want us to know the book of First Peter is a lift your eyes up kind of book. Now you hear that and you go, well, isn't the whole Bible a lift your eyes up book? Well, it, it is. All of the Bible is about the glory of God, about us fixing our eyes on Jesus. But um, there's something specifically that Peter is doing in this letter uh, to the people he's writing to, trying to get them to lift 
up their eyes in the midst of all they are going through. And so um, anytime you begin a book, we got to get oriented a bit about what's this book all about? Um, we have to know a bit of the background about this. And let's just use the first couple verses of the this letter that Peter is writing to understand a bit about the book. And so 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And so like most letters in scripture, we are told right here, uh, who's writing this? Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ, and who is he writing to? He's writing to elect exiles. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But um, he's writing to Gentile believers in these regions that he lists. Uh, these regions all kind of make up, and you'll see it on a map here, they make up what uh, we know as modern-day Turkey today. And so he's writing to this group of Gentile believers, and he calls them elect exiles. Uh, that elect part, I think, just refers to the fact that these are believers. These are uh, people that God has called to himself. But what's up with this exiles thing? Um, I think what Peter is getting at here. Uh, it has to do less with geographical exiles in the world in which they're living now. You know, we think of an exile, we think of someone who's been forced away from their homeland to live somewhere else. I, I think Peter instead is, is reminding these people ultimately where their citizenship resides. That they are strangers, they are foreigners, they are aliens, they are pilgrims journeying through this world that they're living in. Yes, right now they're residing bodily in one of these regions, but ultimately their citizenship is laid up in heaven. And he's reminding them of this right off the bat. Uh, we have a book here that's going to help us navigate this world, this life that we're living now in a way that reminds us that our citizenship isn't ultimately residing here. Our citizenship is in heaven. We're pilgrims. Uh, Edmund Clowney, he's just a Bible scholar who did some work on the book of 1 Peter. He says, um, Peter's writing a travel guide for Christian pilgrims. And that's so helpful for us. There's something about this of, of us lifting our eyes to see that our citizenship isn't ultimately residing here that actually helps us live as good citizens here and now with a kingdom perspective. But Peter's doing something else here as he begins to write to these people. Um, he's also, he reminds them of the, where their citizenship ultimately resides, but he's also going to remind them of their identity, of who they are. Uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. That was packed just in that. Um, Peter, I think, Think is just telling them, can I remind you who you are? Can I remind you who you are? Can I remind you who you are? See the Trinity at play here in this verse. 
according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. You are elect exiles. Your citizenship is resting in heaven according to the foreknowledge of the God who called you. In the sanctification of the Spirit, you have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of you. He is working in you. He is molding you. He is making you into a greater likeness to Jesus Christ. And oh, by the way, this Jesus Christ, He is the one we're obedient to. He is the Master, the Lord, the Commander. He's the one we're following. And you can only follow, you can only be indwelt by the Spirit, you can only know that you've been called by the foreknowledge of God with this last part here and for sprinkling with His blood. He's reminding them that they are people who've been covered by the blood of Christ, who've been bought, who've been ransomed by the blood of Christ. These are people covered by the blood, whose citizenship is in heaven and whose identity rests as people of God. Um, Now you get to this next line here, this next sentence. And we can read this next sentence and go, yeah, that's just kind of one of the typical line sentences you find at the beginning of a letter in the Bible. Uh, It says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. I think in the book of 1 Peter, that line is massive. I think in the book of 1 Peter, that line actually is serving as a header over all that is to come. Uh, Because there's this sentence I want us to come back to again and again and again as we study this book together. And that sentence is this. When the grace of God is magnified to us, The peace of God is multiplied in us. When the grace of God is magnified, when we hold the magnifying glass over this grace that God has lavished on us, the peace of God then is multiplied in our heart. Uh, See, we're going to find here uh, shortly into this letter, uh, verse 6 is going to kind of cue us to what's going on here. Uh, Paul's writing to these Gentile believers, and these Gentile believers are... Uh, they're grieved by various trials, it says. Life's not easy right now. Uh, these regions that they're finding themselves in aren't uh, super friendly to this new Jesus movement. Uh, Peter most likely is writing this letter from Rome, and uh, he's writing this letter from Rome uh, while Rome is under Nero's rule. And if you know anything about history and Christian history, Rome under Nero's rule was not a friendly place for Christians. And I think Peter, even as he writes this, knows that uh, these Gentile believers in these regions, which make up modern-day Turkey, like, life's hard for them. But I think he also knows, like, life might only get harder for them based on what he was seeing in Rome at the time. And so he's writing to them. To say, I want to magnify the grace of God. I want us to see the goodness of the gospel of God's grace to us. And as we hold the magnifying glass over that reality, what will happen is the peace of God begins to be multiplied in our hearts and in our lives. And that is what we are seeking to do throughout this book. We want to hold the magnifying glass over the grace of God, the gospel, the good news, of the gospel of God's grace poured out to us and we want to let that multiply the peace of God in our heart. Does that seem fitting at all for the season we're in? Uh, Sitting in a living room, 
sitting in a dining room recording a sermon because of the reality of where we're at with a pandemic that has swept across the world. Let's grab a magnifying glass. Let's hold it over the grace in which God has lavished to us. And let's let the peace of God multiply to us through it. Because as God's people, we can rejoice always. And that's what we're going to find again and again throughout this letter. How do we rejoice always? In fact, how do you come to a, a, a verse like verse 6 uh, that's going to say to rejoice in the midst of being grieved by various trials? How is it possible that the believer can rejoice even while grieving? How is it the possible to coin our own term for this series? How is it possible for the believer to grieve Joyce? To grieve Joyce? Are you grieving or are you rejoicing? I'm grieving and I'm rejoicing. It's not some faux, some fake, like we don't grieve as believers, but there's a sense of rejoicing in the midst of this. This is a book that equips us to know how to grieve Joyce. To, yes, rejoice in the good things and in the good times, but to rejoice in the trials and the pain and the grieving as well. And so we're going to see and study and savor and taste this magnifying glass over God's grace. We're going to magnify the grace of God so that his peace, the peace of God, is multiplied to us in the season. And so uh, today... I just want to move us through the, the very beginning of this letter. Uh, I want to move us through three parts today. And um, in part one, we're just going to see Peter magnify the grace of God. The second part, we're going to see how that leads to the peace of God being multiplied in our life. And then the third part today is a reminder for us that we sit at a privileged vantage point in redemptive history for the grace of God to be magnified and the peace of God to be multiplied. So let's jump into this together. And I hope you're ready to worship through the word of God. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. I just want to kind of give you the first point for this first section, and it's this. To be born again is a merciful, gracious, and blessed act of God. Let me read this again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. I just want to worship over that statement for a minute right there. According to God's great mercy, God's mercy, a mercy is him withholding from us what we rightfully deserve. And God is great in mercy. He abounds in mercy. He, he abounds in withholding from us what we rightfully deserve as people who have transgressed and sinned against him. And, and Paul says here, according to, or sorry, Peter says here, according to this mercy, God has caused us to be born again. That makes our heart worship. Uh, there is nothing, Brock, there is nothing you have done to cause yourself to be born again. There is nothing you have done to cause yourself to be born again. Uh, it wasn't that we were smart enough to choose Jesus. Uh, it wasn't that I was able to take myself from being dead in my sin and addicted to sin to alive and loving God. It is God in his abundant mercy who has caused us to be born again. Uh, in, in school, right, we learned the relationship between cause and effect. So this thing or this event happened, cause, and because of that, this over here, this reaction, this other event happened, the effect. 
because of God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Now, what are we born again to? Uh, when a child is born, in, they're, they're born into the world. What are we born again into? Peter goes on to tell us. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What are we born again to? Uh, the first thing Peter tells us here is we're born again to a living hope. Uh, Christians, we are people of hope. We are people of living hope. We are hope people. I think we've all experienced that uh, one of the most encouraging things in life is to be around people filled with hope. And I think we also know the other side of that, that one of the most depressing, discouraging things in life is to see no hope in people, to see people who the bottom of the hope bucket has just been punctured and all of it is drained out and there is nothing left there. But we are people born again to a living hope. We walk on this earth as people with a living hope. What is the source of our living hope? The source of our living hope is this, that Jesus has risen from the dead. It's exactly what we just uh, celebrated last week with Easter, that we are a people of living hope because we have a living Savior. He's resurrected from the dead. He has triumphed over sin and death. And because we are in Him, because we are born again, we too will triumph over sin and death and be with Him forever. Uh, we are born again to a living hope. And I just want to say something even right now in the season we are living in. Um, I pray that this reality would be true for us as we interact with our friends and our family and our neighbors and our coworkers. And I'm praying that people will see believers are people of living hope. Um, you know, I think a lot of us have been talking about like, how do we, how do we serve our community in this time? How do we tangibly show the love of Christ in this time? And there's some great ways tangibly we can do this to get on board with making masks for hospitals, to be ordering medical equipment, to um, be looking for ways to serve families who are trying to figure out how do we do this school from home thing. Uh, but I think one of the greatest opportunities we have to serve the community in this time is actually something Peter is going to talk about here in a few chapters when we get to it. But 1 Peter 3.15 says this, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as, all, as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you, listen to this, for a reason for the hope that is in you. And I'm praying that through this season and through the uncertainty of it, through the pandemic in which we're living in, that people will see we're hope people. Because we've been born again. Because the Spirit of God is indwelling us, has regenerated us, has made us new, has given us a new heart. New heart. We are now people living with this living hope because we have a living Savior. But Peter doesn't only say we're born again to a living hope. He doesn't only talk about the ramifications of living in this life with a living hope. He talks about that um, we're born again to something heavenly. 
to this inheritance that he talks about. Verse 4, to an inheritance. And then he describes this inheritance that we as believers are born again to. This inheritance is imperishable. It won't go bad. It's not going to spoil. It is, uh, it is undefiled. It is pure. And it is right. And it is holy. And it's unfading. It's not going away. This is the promised, assured inheritance to every believer. Everyone who is born again has an inheritance in Christ that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And then this is beautiful, kept in heaven for you. Peter's writing to these Gentile believers and he's saying, this inheritance is being kept in heaven for you. And then he expands on this you. He expands on the reality of what God is doing for the believer Verse 5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Believers, God is guarding us. Because we've been born again and dwelt by the Spirit, made new in Christ, there's this inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's being kept in heaven for us. And uh, we are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's, it's scripture, it's passages like this are why I'm so staunchly an eternal security guy. What do I mean by eternal security? I mean that once you are saved, you are always saved. That someone who is truly a believer um, will be kept and guarded and held by God forever. Because we see the reality of this. You're born again. You're born to this living hope, to this inheritance that is imperishable. You're being guarded by God's power through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so look at all of this. All of this is falling under what we said here. To be born again is a merciful, gracious, blessed act of God. We are pulling the magnifying glass over all of these gospel truths, gospel realities. And, and what are we to do with this? What's the application of point one? Here's the application of point one. Worship. Rejoice in this. It's exactly where Paul, Peter goes in verse six. In this you what? You rejoice that the believer is to take joy in all of these truths here. Go back and read just those two verses, verses 3, 4, and 5, those three verses, verses 3, 4, and 5 to yourself and look at the packed reality of the gospel and the grace lavished to us by Jesus Christ. You're being Carded by God for a salvation that is assured, for an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Born again because He's loved you and caused you to be born again. These are the great gospel realities and the grace God has lavished on us. And Peter's doing this intentionally. He's setting this up as we get now to verse 6, and he acknowledges, now, you're going through some stuff in life. Life's hard right now. But even in the midst of these hard things, you're rejoicing in the grace that God has lavished on us. So let's get to this second part. 
How then does uh, magnifying the grace of God lead to the peace, the joy of God being multiplied in us? So second point, we'll word it like this. This leads to all of this that we just, just ta- unpacked and talked about. This leads to rejoicing even in trials. Leads to rejoicing even in trials, knowing they prove the genuineness of my faith and they get my eyes on Jesus. This grace that God has lavished on us leads to rejoicing, even in trials, knowing this proves these trials prove the genuineness of my faith, and they get my eyes on Jesus. Look at what it says in verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. There it is. Now, Peter's acknowledging that life for these believers is not easy. I mean, if you've been around our church at all, we try to be very honest that a life with Christ is not a life immune to the trials and the pain and the hardships of this earth. In fact, a life with Christ might actually lead to a harder road ahead, to a greater persecution. And that's what these believers are experiencing. And he says, in this you rejoice, in these gospel truths, this grace lavished on you, you're rejoicing, though now you're walking through some trials that grieve you, that are hard. But how do you grieve joyce? How do you rejoice in the grieving? You magnify the grace that God has lavished on you. But then practically, Peter's going to highlight some things of why we can rejoice in the trials. God's working. God's accomplishing some things. This isn't wasted time for him. This isn't pain that doesn't have purpose to it. What does God do in the midst of these uh, trials that are grieving the people. Verse 7. Let me actually start reading again in verse 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that. Don't miss that so that. Don't miss that so that. That there's a result, there's a purpose to the grievous trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, What are the grievous trials accomplishing at times in life? They're testing and proving our faith genuine. They are strengthening our faith to be an enduring faith. Um, I think all of us would agree that everything strong in life has been like pressure tested at some point. Has been, uh, there's been a stress test at some point. Uh, everything enduring has gone through the fire and come out on the other side stronger. I mean, I think all of us can look back at different tests we've been through at life, whether it be an academic test or some physical uh, fitness test. Um, we, uh, in college, when we would report back to football camp in the fall, uh, you would uh, report, <clears throat> you would typically head to the weight room and um, lift weights for a time, and then, uh, like the ver- one of the very first things we always did was called uh, the 12-minute run. 
And the 12-minute run was like the most dreaded thing of football camp every year. The 12-minute run had a purpose to it. It was to test the genuineness of the off-season workout program. If you did not train for the 12-minute run, uh, you uh, were not going to pass the 12-minute run. And I, like, even as I'm talking about it, I can remember the feelings of being on the starting line of the Wabash College track, nervous and like <clears throat> absolutely dreading what these next, hopefully under 12 minutes, were going to be like. And you would sprint your way around that, you would finish it, you'd collapse in the grass, but there was something so freeing on the other side of that physical fitness test. It was knowing, like, if I've just gotten through that, I can get through the rest of football camp. There's something strengthening, encouraging about walking through grievous trials in life that test the genuineness of our faith, that prove it genuine, that bring us out on the other side of them so strengthening. And I mean, no doubt you and I can all think of tests and trials and hardships we've walked through that we came out on the other side so much stronger in our faith because of them and paul's saying we can rejoice even in the trials that grieve because uh, god is testing the genuineness of our faith but there's another reason we can rejoice in the grievous trials and it's this they get our eyes on jesus look at where he goes as he ends verse seven here it may, may be found result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And now Peter's like, I got to talk about Jesus Christ a bit here. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. There it is again. Rejoicing with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Remember, he's talking to people who are walking through grieving, grievous trials, trials that are grieving them. But he's saying there's something about this that though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And in loving him and believing him and getting your eyes fixed and focused on him, you are rejoicing with a joy that is inexpressible. You cannot even express the joy that you have over your eyes and your faith fixed on who Jesus Christ is. That is the offer to us. That is the offer to every believer. That even if you're walking through trials that are grieving you down to your very soul, you can still walk through them with joy that is inexpressible. Joy that you can't even put into words. Why? Because you have Jesus. You know Jesus. You believe in Jesus. You have him and he is all that you need. And so... I'm going to say it. I'm going to keep saying it. We're just magnifying the grace that God has lavished on us in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Because when the magnifying glass is there, whether we're walking through days that are awesome and easy and just pain-free, we rejoice. Or whether we're walking through days that are dark and painful and hard, we can rejoice. We can grieve joys. Because we see the goodness of all God has given us. And we also see that, we also see what he's accomplishing in the midst of the trial, of getting our eyes on him, of testing and proving our faith genuine. So when the 
grace of God is magnified, the peace, the joy of God is multiplied into our hearts. But now Peter is going to just remind these readers of something and remind us of something. And it's the third part of the message today. That we, we sit in a privileged position. We have a privileged vantage point to see His grace magnified and to see His peace multiplied. What, is, what do I mean by that? What does Peter mean by that? Look at what he says in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. What is Peter saying there? That's a packed, a packed little paragraph. Uh, Peter saying, uh, believer, believers that he's writing to us sitting in here today who live on this side of redemptive history, uh, who live on this side of the birth and sinless life and murderous death and buried in a tomb and resurrected conquering death and ascending into heaven. Those of us who live on this side, we see the story of the Christ. We see what Jesus has come and done. But the prophets before... Uh, they were getting glimpses of this, and they were writing as the Spirit enabled them to see. You read the book of Isaiah, and he's writing parts and pieces of uh, what Jesus, the coming Messiah, was to be like. And the other prophets are adding to this, this future uh, understanding of how God was going to send a Messiah. The prophets were looking forward. Um, Kind of the best way to think about it is when you get a puzzle. I know a couple weeks ago, Pastor Brian uh, talked about a puzzle in his sermon, but it, this came to mind here is you, you get a puzzle and you dump out all the pieces and um, all that's in front of you are these pieces and you're trying to figure out how does all of this work together and you get the border in place and, and now some things are starting to come into greater clarity. and You start to build out sections and the more and more that the puzzle gets put together, that the pieces come together, you start to see this picture. The, the prophets, as the Spirit of God revealed it to them, they were getting pieces of this Messiah that was to come and they were beginning to try to put the picture of it together. We on this side of the virgin birth, the sinless life, the murderous death, the buried in a tomb, the raised from the dead, the ascended to heaven, we look back and we see the whole picture. We see the puzzle of the Christ completed. We have a privileged vantage point to be reminded of the grace that God has lavished and the peace offered to us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. We get to look at the whole picture completed. And Peter says something pretty amazing. He said, this is a picture, like that's a puzzle, that even the angels were longing to look and see. What a privileged vantage point we get to see God's grace magnified and as an outflow of that, to let his peace be multiplied in our heart. Um, we, uh, 
we're certainly in a unique season here. Uh, and I'm praying that through this book that the faith of believers would be strengthened as they fix their eyes on the grace that God has lavished on us. I think this season is one in which the church is going to be strengthened and refined. I'm not talking just about our church. I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ all over the globe. That we have an opportunity here to keep the magnifying glass in our own lives and to take the magnifying glass and, and show people who don't yet know Jesus the great hope and the great joy that we have. We have an opportunity here in this season with this pandemic and all of the, uh, all of the things that are going to flow out of it, all the repercussions that are going to flow out of it, to walk through this thing grief-joicing, rejoicing in all things, for people to see our demeanor, for people to see our responses and go, there's something so different. There's something so peace-filled about that. There's something so hope-filled in that what in the world is going on and to tell them that ultimately, like our peace and joy don't ebb and flow with the circumstances of the world that rages around us. Like the peace and joy in our life can stay consistent because of the grace that God has lavished on us in the gospel. And I'm just praying that for us, believers i'm praying that for the church that god is doing a great and refining work in this pandemics aren't good but what god is able to accomplish in the heart of his people what god is able to accomplish in the heart of someone who doesn't even know him but might come to know him through this is a very good thing and so let's go on the journey of this book together let's memorize this book together Let's hold the spotlight again and again. Let's hold the magnifying glass again and again over the goodness of the grace of God lavished on us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we focus again and again on that and let our hearts worship again and again on that, we will experience his peace multiplied to us. That's the journey we're going on together in the weeks ahead through this book of 1 Peter. And I just want to say, if, if you're listening to this and um, you never experienced the peace of Jesus Christ ruling and reigning in your heart, you don't know him. Uh, you don't even know what it means to know him. Uh, that this is an offer God extends to you for you to know the peace of Christ reigning in your heart, for you to be born again. There is no such thing as a Christian who's not born again. We must be made new. We must be regenerate. We must have a new heart. And if all of a sudden your heart is warm to the desire to know Jesus Christ, uh, acknowledge that is the Spirit of God drawing you to himself. That's exactly what this passage said. He's causing you to be born again. What do you do? You get down on your face right there in your living room, in your dining room, wherever you are, and you, uh, in faith, believe in Jesus Christ to save you from your sin. And you call on him. And you let the grace of God be magnified in your heart today so that the peace of God is multiplied in your heart for a lifetime and for eternity to come. So harvest, it's going to sound like a broken record. I'm going to say it every week of this series. Let's let God's grace be magnified. He has given us all that we need in the gospel truths and his grace, his, the, the grace he's lavished on us for us to live with a heart at peace forever and ever.